Okay, so turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12 says, When Jesus spoke, to, spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So tonight, we're going to be meditating on just one verse. We don't usually do it this way, but we're going to spend tonight just meditating on just this one verse. Uh, this is one of the seven I am statements that we're looking at as part of a, a new series called Real Jesus. Uh, Whitney, you can throw that slide up there if you want to. And there were a lot of people in Jesus' day who uh, may have claimed to have known the real Jesus or to have different ideas about who he was, but there are seven statements in John's Gospel where Jesus tells you exactly who he is. And I'm so thankful that these are in the Bible because just as we live through a time of all kinds of uncertainty and turmoil, there are two options. You can either come to Jesus or you can come to something else. And in order to come to Jesus, we have to actually know who he is. And so just for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to be meditating on who is Jesus. And we're going to look straight at his words of who he says he really is. And so last week, we looked at Jesus' first I am statement, I am the bread of life. And tonight, we're looking at the second one, I am the light of the world. If you're taking notes, uh, here are the three truths we're going to be looking at based on this statement that Jesus is the light of the world. So number one, <clears throat> this verse is going to point us to the fact that we live in a world of darkness. Number two, we can't turn on the lights. And then number three, Jesus stepped into the darkness for us. So number one, we live in a world of darkness. Number two, we can't turn on the lights. And number three, Jesus stepped into the darkness for us. Okay, so <clears throat> one of the ideas in this verse, there's a contrast here between light and darkness. So in the first half of the verse, Jesus says, he is the light of the world. And then in the second half of the world, he talks about darkness. He says, Whoever uh, follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So he's implying that the opposite of the light <clears throat> is the world's default state of affairs, which is, he uses the word darkness. Now, now what Jesus is saying here <clears throat> agrees with what the Bible says in other places. Uh, so for example, some of you might uh, think, know of like Ephesians chapter 6, it's the great armor of God passage the belt of truth, the breastplate of salvation. Well, at the beginning uh, of that, that little section there, in verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And then there's 2 Peter. This is chapter 1, verse 19. And this is Peter talking about the way that we can look to Scripture as a, a surety in, in times of trial. And he says... Uh, we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. So there are a couple of different places all throughout the Bible that refer to the world that we live in as characterized by darkness. And now some Christians, when, when you hear Jesus say something like that, or you read verses like these, 
uh, sometimes has been taken by, by many to, to, to be a, a statement that as followers of Jesus, we should regard the world as this terrible and evil place. We should try to protect our children from it at all costs. And on the one hand, I'd, I'd affirm that there are all kinds of evil and cruelty that we need to be on our guard against. But that perspective is also one-sided if we forget that God's plan was to reach out to that very world and to redeem the world. And he calls us to do likewise by being in the world, but not of the world. So Jesus, I don't think he's just world bashing here, but the point I think that he's trying to make is that by pointing to the darkness in the world, he's pointing a finger, uh, putting a finger on, on sort of a fundamental fact of what it means to like live in this world. And that's the experience of what it's like to feel like you're trapped in the darkness. Uh, so some of you guys um, who have grown up here in the Northwest have probably um, really torn all around the Northwest. Like we've got like some pretty amazing places to hike. Uh, you know, maybe some of you guys who are boat people, like I'm looking at Whitney back there, uh, have spent all kinds of time like out on the Puget Sound. Um, like if you live in Washington, I, I, I think you can probably objectively say like you live in the most beautiful state. Although we've got a guy from Alaska here tonight, so you might challenge me on that. I don't know. All that to say, we live in a state with a lot of real beautiful things, um, and including, actually, I don't know if you guys know this, Washington actually has a number of really cool caves. Do we have any spelunkers in the room? Any people who enjoy caving? Okay, well, you guys should get into it. It's cool. Uh, one time when I was in middle school, I was uh, on like a, a youth group trip, and uh, <laughs> it was one of the crazier youth group trips I think I've ever heard of, because uh, this youth group, we went to uh, Mount St. Helens area, and uh, up by Mount St. Helens, there are all these caves that were made hundreds of years ago by, by you know, lava flow. So they're, you know, they're, they're called lava tubes. And, uh, you know, there's uh, kind of the big cave, the ape caves, which is the, the touristy one that maybe some of you guys have been to. Well, we didn't go to that one. We wound up going, like, into this unmarked cave. There was a guy who I think was, like, connected to the church who I think was, like, an amateur caver. And uh, he just, I guess he had been down this one before, and he thought it would be a good idea to take all of these middle schoolers down this unmarked, tiny little cave. And he even brought, like, I think he had to, like, bring his own little rope ladder because there wasn't really a way even down into the thing. So the whole thing was, like, super sketch, super jankety, and I, you know, I survived. Here I am. Uh, and, but, you know, this cave, it, it, was, it was really narrow. There was actually one point where we're in this cave, and... <laughs> And this just was, like, so staggering to me. Like, I'm so thankful I wasn't this youth pastor. We lost half the group in the cave. <laughs> and, 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 like, you know, we were, like, shouting at the top of our voice, like, to find the other half of our group that was, like, deeper in the cave. And we didn't hear them respond. And so we thought, oh, boy, you know, what's, what's so <laughs> they all, they were all okay. Don't worry. But what I remember um, specifically about this, this misadventure <laughs> was that when we got to the end of the cave, it ended in this cavern. And it was a cavern that was probably maybe like six feet tall, wasn't very tall, but you could, you could all kind of fit in there. And, it, you know, if my memory serves correctly, we, we all got given little candles, and we were told to turn off our flashlights so that the only light that we could see came from the light that came from the candles. And, and I, our youth leader, I think, gave a little devotional about uh, light in the darkness, and then he had us extinguish the candles and in that moment, it was absolutely, completely pitch black. Now, let me ask you a question. You know, if you had been in my position, uh, do you think, bold adventurers, <laughs> that you would have been able to find your way out of the cave? 
Okay, I see some, some heads shaking. Um, speaking for myself, and I, I would consider myself like moderately adventuresome, not super adventuresome, not not adventuresome, maybe moderately adventuresome. There's no way that I, I think you could have found your way out of that cave without any light. And in that moment, that was a personal experience for me of what it was like to be completely engulfed by the darkness. What does it feel like to be in darkness? What does it feel like to be in darkness? Jesus says that whoever follows him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just, just think for a minute. Just think to yourself maybe about an experience you've had of like physical darkness or maybe figurative darkness, and just think about what that experience was like or maybe even is like still. There are different kinds of darkness. There's physical darkness, you know, literal darkness where you can't really see who you are or where you're going. There's emotional darkness. Maybe the feeling of being trapped in a, in a pit of sadness and, and despair that's so deep that it feels like there's no way you can see the light at the top. I think there's such a thing as spiritual darkness. Uh, you know, I would think of that as maybe being sort of a feeling of being so lost or, or disoriented spiritually as though God has become a stranger to you. I think there's even such a thing as intellectual darkness where you find yourself confronted with doubts and uncertainties and you just can't seem to straighten them out. And then, maybe most overwhelming of all, I think you can even take all of these and roll them together and call it existential darkness. And, and maybe this is the feeling you get where, you know, I think this is something especially common for us as young adults, where like you just feel so overwhelmed by what your future is supposed to look like, or whether you're ever going to be married, or, or what to do about a pressing decision you have to make. All of those things are examples of different ways that we can be in the dark. And as, as you think about those, what, what words come to mind for you for what it actually feels like to be in that kind of situation? Just shout some out. What are some words that just kind of come to you that sort of describe what it feels like to be in that place? You say alone? Yeah, alone, yeah. Isolated, yeah. Fear, yeah. Hurt, mm -hmm. yeah. Isolation, yeah, yeah. You know, so just other words that come to mind for me. One of them might be panic. Sometimes darkness can be pretty terrifying, um, disorienting, confusing. Um, words like hopelessness, or 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 even the word shame. I think sometimes there can be a feeling of shame that like I am the reason I'm in the darkness. Like. Maybe it was my fault that I've wound up here. But Jesus says that he's the light in our darkness. And so what does that mean? What does that mean to actually have Jesus say that he's come to penetrate right into the heart of all these different kinds of darkness that we're talking about? So what does he mean by that? <clears throat> well, first of all, uh, what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world is that we, therefore, are not the light of the world. And it means that we can't turn on the lights ourselves. So, so uh, for example, you ever had the experience, um, I've had this experience, where uh, <laughs> you're trying to find the, like, the light switch in a dark room, maybe a room you don't know very well, and uh, you know what happens? 
when you can't find the lights. Yeah, you just, you tr right, you kind of thunk your hand up against the, the, the wall and try to find it. And then, uh, you know, if you're uh, as clumsy as me, again, I'm going to put myself in the middle, you know, not super clumsy, not like unclumsy, you know, in the middle. Uh, well, if you're like me, you, you kind of trip over the furniture and, you know, you stub your toe on things. This is oftentimes, I think, what it feels like to try to deal with the darkness yourself. You know, you find a, you you wind up just kind of feeling like you're like more confused at the end than at the beginning. Um, you know, they can, you can feel even more in pain because the darkness just seems to get deeper and deeper. Sometimes, like we can just make the darkness worse. Uh, and you know, this reminds me of a, a guy that I actually knew years ago. Um, there was a man I knew who, uh, at one point uh, earlier in his life, had been in a really terrible snowboarding accident. Um, and he, as a teenager, fell down this, this crevasse while he was snowboarding and, and was, he was trapped there. He couldn't move and he was stuck there for several hours. And if he hadn't been found, uh, he would have died of hypothermia. Uh, but by a totally unlikely set of <laughs> quote-unquote coincidences, uh, the search and rescue team found him. And they were able to dig him out right as he was on the verge of death and he, he survived. And, and that near-death experience rocked his world so much that it launched him into this several-year journey to try to make sense of what had happened to him. You know, he, he was asking himself, like, why was it that I was allowed to live? You know, is there maybe a God who was behind that that somehow delivered me? What did it all mean? These were the questions he was wrestling with. And years later, he, he wound up writing a reflection on that time of his life. And, and in it, he, he says this. He says, after the accident... Um, I had a searing conviction that there must be some purpose, some answer to the why for which I lived. But cast about as I might, tossing and turning on my bed at night, it evaded me. My grandparents on my dad's side had given me a small King James Bible on the day I had been christened, only days after my birth. I would page through it and had this inexplicable intuition that there was something there within those leaves. But it was like I was looking at it through a veil that kept me from seeing the answer to my search for purpose, even though I somehow sensed it was there to be found. And what I find so interesting about this story is that what he's really describing is he's describing trying to turn the lights on by himself. And for, for years, he was in a, a state of just feeling completely disoriented and confused to what really the purpose of his life was, whether there really was a God behind it. Now, eventually, my friend really did find an answer. He was um, brought along to a Christian camp. He heard the gospel preached there and responded to the gospel. And, and that brought some things together that finally made things click. And it changed his life. But for, for those agonizing months and years prior to that experience, he was like a man trying to grope around in a dark room looking for the light switch. And he learned he couldn't turn on the lights by himself. And same thing for us. Um, you know, here, 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 okay, I'm a pretty analytical person. Raise your hand if you're an analytical person. Uh, you know, one time I was actually told by someone that I'm objectively hard to date. <laughs> and the reason they told me this was because, <laughs> was because um, I think they said I just analyze things too much. You know, not a knock against you analytical people. You know, I would rank myself, you know, at the very top of the analytical pile. So, you know, you're probably not as analytical as all that. But uh... <laughs> thanks, Will. But, but, you know, if, if you are like me, or even if you're not like me, you, you may very well know what it is to try to sort through your life by just, like, figuring it all out. 
or you feel like you have this pressure to be figuring it all out. Like you've got to sort through, you know, what your, 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 your 10-year plan is going to be. You have to sort through how you're going to do this and then do that and then do this and then do that. And what I want to tell you, just something I have learned as an analytical guy, is that you can't figure it out. <laughs> you can't figure it out. That's just not the way life works, and it's not the way that darkness works. If you are in a season of darkness, then it feels a little bit like being lost in a maze. And, and if you can relate, then you probably know that, that this trying to figure your way out of the maze is probably just going to lead to more dead ends. And the thing is, the Bible actually tells us why this is so. If you go to John chapter 3, in fact, you might just turn there if you've got a Bible open still. In John chapter 3, uh, there's a moment there where Jesus is having uh, a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, he's an intellectual. He's an educated religious leader, um, and he's a guy who's both fascinated by Jesus and baffled by Jesus all at the same time, and he just can't seem to figure him out. And it's in this conversation with Nicodemus where Jesus says, this is the verdict, verse 19. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So in this passage, Jesus is explaining that the reason we can't turn on the lights ourselves is because our sin has separated us from the light. And in fact, he even goes one further, and he says that as much as we may, may hate the darkness, or maybe even hate being stuck in our own sin, that there's something about the light that the sin nature in us finds even worse. And the reason for that is that light exposes darkness. Light exposes darkness. Now you might think, well, that's exactly what I want it to do. Like, I don't want there to be darkness. Make it go away. But, but the, the word expose is intentional there. Light exposes the dark things in our lives. Um, so, you know, uh, if you've ever uh, played a good game of hide-and-seek, and you're the one hiding, you know how, like, when, when someone walks into the room where you're hiding, and they've got their flashlight, and they're kind of shining it around all the places where you're not, like, your heart begins to pound a little bit faster that they're actually going to shine it on the place where you are, and they're going to find you. Uh, now, I, I just let it be put on record on, on, that uh, I once played a game of hide-and-seek, I think it was sardines, actually, uh, with some members of the Thrive Leadership team, and they didn't find me. I felt so proud of myself. Uh, in any case, but my heart was pounding because, you know, they, they did kind of come into the room where I was, and they, they didn't see me. But, but, you know, that's the same kind of sensation that I think happens spiritually when the light of Jesus begins to inch closer and closer to our many, many hiding places, to the many, many things that we don't actually want Jesus to see or the areas of our lives where we don't actually want Jesus to step into because we say, like, Jesus, I don't want you to see that. Jesus, I don't want you to, to, to mess around in that area of my life. Like, I want to control this area. Like, I want to be the Lord of that part. I don't want you to be in that part. And so the light of God's holiness, the light that Jesus is, sometimes actually makes us retreat deeper into the darkness. Uh, you know, uh, recently <clears throat> remembered, uh, there, there's a story I heard that was told by an author named John Ortberg that's kind of a cute little story about a two-year-old little girl. Uh, and, and this little girl is out in her backyard, and she's discovering uh, as a two-year-old how to make mud pies for the first time. And, you know, she called, uh, she didn't call them mud pies, she called it warm chocolate. 
how cute. And her grandma is there watching this whole thing. And, 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 and you know, obviously the girl's making quite the mess. And, and uh, every time she would make another mud pie, she would kind of, you know, look up at her grandma. And knowing that her grandma probably didn't approve of her getting herself all messy, she would say as sweetly as could be, she'd say, don't look at me, Nana, okay? And, you know, her grandma did as grandmas do. And she kind of like a little indulgently just sort of, you know, turned away, turned a blind eye, and pretended not to notice. And uh, John Ortberg, who, who tells the story, he goes on to, to write that uh, it may be that out of all the prayers that are ever spoken, the most common one, the quietest one, the one that we least acknowledge making is simply this. Don't look at me, God, okay? A businessman on the road checks into a motel room late at night. He knows the kind of movies that are available to him in the room. His wife won't find out. His kids won't see. An executive who's going to pad an expense account. An employee who's going to deliberately make a coworker look bad. A student who looks at somebody else's paper during an exam. Each first must say a little prayer. Don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. So when Jesus says that he's the light of the world, we actually might be scared of that. Because deep down, all of us know that, that we're not perfect and that we're not always those who walk in the light. And there may be such a deep sense of shame about who we are and what we've done that just like Peter, we say, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Or in other words, don't look at me, God. And all this means that we can't turn the lights on ourselves. We, we, we literally have a gag reflex against Jesus being the light of the world that we so desperately need. And the truth is, we are not the light. We are not the light. We're not our own saviors. And in fact, the things of this world are not the light. And, and, and you should know that, that every day there are billions of dollars that people are spending to try to persuade you to look to other lights. You know, there are politicians who are saying, my agenda is the light. If you just latch onto my party and onto my platform, I will push back the darkness for you. Or there are marketers who say, my product is the light. If you just buy the newest iPhone or the, the newest outfit or the newest gadget or you know, the newest Gucci bag or whatever, it'll push back the darkness. And then there are friends and family sometimes who might say, our approval is the light. If you just live up to our expectations of what your life should look like or what success ought to be, it'll push back the darkness. And all of those things, whether it's ourselves, whether it's other things, all those things are like flickering candles or flashlights with half-dead batteries. I mean, they might shine for a little while, but if you give them long enough, they're going to go out on you, they're going to leave you stuck in the darkness. We can't turn on the lights on our own. Which is why this verse is such good news. Because what Jesus says here is that we don't have to. Because he is the light of the world. If this verse is really true, if Jesus truly is our light, then what that means is that we don't escape from the darkness because at last we've been able to cleverly scrape together some strategy to get out of the maze. For Jesus to be the light of the world means that he has gone into the maze to come and get us. 
Um, let me just give you a little thought picture. Imagine for a minute that you find yourself at the bottom of a pit. Uh, and imagine that this pit is so deep and it's so dark at the bottom that you can barely see. But then you, you notice that there's the, the, all of a sudden there's someone who's walked by the top of the pit and you can just barely see him up at the very top of the opening. And, and your heart leaps with joy. You think, oh, at last, someone who's come to help me out of this pit. And the man at the top calls down. He says, I see you down there. Uh, here, let me, let me help you. Um, I'm going to stand at the top of this pit, and I'm just going to wait here until you can climb your way out. Now, how would you feel if that's what he said? Uh, you, know, so you, 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 might, you might try. You might try to clamber up the side of the pit a little bit. Um, but eventually, you fall back down. The, 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 the pit is just too, too steep. There's no way that you can climb to the top yourself. And eventually, the person at the, uh, the, person at the top just goes away and, and kind of gives up. And, and you're left there alone to sink back down into the darkness again. A little time goes on. And then you see that there's another person who's passed by the opening of the pit. And this person looks down and he says, I see you down there. Here, let me help you. I'm going to drop down some instructions for you about how to climb out of the pit. So he drops down the instructions. You try to read them with the little light that you have. And you try to follow them, but still, the next time you try to clamber out of the pit, um, it doesn't work. You, you just aren't strong enough to do it. And at this point, your body is exhausted, your spirit is exhausted, and, and at the verge of despair that you're never going to get out of the darkness. But then finally, there's, there's one more person who comes by the top of the pit. And maybe at this point you've kind of given up that he's going to really help you, but as you're kind of just sitting there, you notice that this, this, this man has begun to silently lower himself down into the pit by a rope in order to descend into the darkness where you are. And before you even know what's happening, he's lifted your exhausted body onto his shoulders, and with great exertion, he pulls himself and you out of the pit. Now, which person would you want to walk by the pit that you're in? Only the last one is the gospel. <laughs> the first two are the way that the world works. The first two are the way that every other religion in the world works. But the last one is Christianity, because Jesus is the only one who didn't just come to us and say, you know, just clean up your life. Just, you know, dig yourself out of the pit. Just get yourself out of the darkness. Jesus didn't just look down high from above, but he literally came down into the darkness with us, put us on his shoulders, and pulled us back up. That's what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. He didn't just give us a match and a candlestick and say, you know, figure out how to light this thing to get yourself out of it. The way that he <clears throat> did it was that he came into this world as the true light to come and rescue us. And he did that through the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, it says in the Gospels that darkness came over the whole land for three hours. Jesus was on the cross for a total of six hours. And the first three hours... The emphasis there was on all of the, the, the insults and the rebukes and, and, and the things that human beings said against the Son of God. You know, they at one point said to Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, then prove it. Come down from the cross. You, know, you said you could save others, save yourself. 
That's the first three hours of the cross. But then the final three hours when darkness came over the land, it was in those three hours that Jesus was experiencing the fullness of the wrath of God, the fullness of God's righteous anger against our sin. All of that came on Jesus, our willing substitute, who volunteered to die in our place. The reason why Jesus can be the light of the world and the reason why he can come down into the pit of our darkness to rescue us is because he went into the worst, deepest possible darkness there ever could have been so that we would never have to dwell there. Jesus is the light of the world. And if you are here tonight and you feel like right now you're in darkness, Jesus doesn't want just to throw you a set of instructions he doesn't just want to kind of, at a distance, be your cheerleader until you can kind of figure it all out yourself. The only thing that you have to do is nothing. You can just be a heap on the floor, have nothing figured out, don't have any of it all together, don't have any answers. And Jesus says, I want to come into your darkness and rescue What would it look like to say yes to that? Let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to move to small groups. Jesus, thank you that you are the light of the world. Jesus, thank you that you are not just a bunch of instructions or rules on how to get out of the maze. Lord, thank you that you know how truly weak and desperate we are, <laughs> and that you chose to come into the pit with us, to lift us up and pull us out. God, just I pray tonight that we would not just know that intellectually, but I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would experience that tonight in a real and living way. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.